Hello and welcome to Legendary Africa, the podcast where a disembodied voice speaks, shouts, swears, and whispers African myths and legends straight into your ear canal. Welcome also to Season 2 of the podcast. I can't believe that Season 2 is here already. Seems like only yesterday that I was sitting in my old leather armchair, reminiscing about the good old days. Yes. Hmm? What's that, Squad? Oh! Oh yes, of course. Season 2. You remember Squad, right? My good friend, the moth. I found him fluttering around by himself somehow around your lungs. He has since become my faithful companion, and we have travelled together through much of your scientifically inaccurate anatomy. So, I would like to welcome you all back to Legendary Africa, and if there are any new listeners, welcome to the podcast. It's an odd one, but a loving one. I'm also really excited to announce that I have recently joined the wonderful and absolutely amazing Straight Up Strange Network. I am so honoured to be a part of such an amazing network. This also means that I now get to play this before every episode starts. You are about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. I know, right? I am squealing. I'm so excited. So, you'll be hearing that right at the beginning of each episode from now on. Thank you, Straight Up Strange Network. Now, let's crack on to today's story. Farah Asi and the Pot of Boiling Butter Our tale comes from Zanzibar, a self-governing region of Tanzania. I've never been, but I've heard that it is a beautiful place, a huge tourist destination, or at least it was before COVID. It is home to blue-green waters and soft, clean sand, so lovers of the beach will be in heaven there. Seriously, go Google Zanzibar. It is so pretty. Now, Zanzibar is made up of the Zanzibar Archipelago in the Indian Ocean, which houses several small islands um, and two larger islands, Unguja and Pemba Island. I actually spoke a little bit about Pemba Island in an episode for season 1, when I was talking about the legend of the Papa Bawa. Zanzibar considers itself quite separate from the Tanzanian mainland, and has its own leader and governors. While Tanzania is inhabited by indigenous groups, Christians and Muslims, Zanzibar is largely Muslim. Zanzibar actually comes from the Arabic Zanzibar, which derives from the Persian Zangabar, a uh, compound of Zang, meaning black, and Bar, meaning coast. Colonized by the Portuguese, the Arabs, and the British Empire, Zanzibar achieved full independence in 1964, remaining autonomous with Tanzania. So, here are some fun facts about Zanzibar you may not have known about. Number 1. Zanzibar is home to the red colobus monkey. These little guys, not only are they cute, go google them, they are adorable. These little guys are unfortunately sadly endangered because of hunting and habitat loss and because humans are shitfaces. <laughs> They're really cute, but don't think these guys will let you pet them. They can be particularly aggressive when two separate groups encounter each other. Fact number two. Ever heard of this guy called Freddie Mercury? You know, the lead singer of the band Queen? He was actually born in Zanzibar. Freddie Mercury's real name is Farouk Bursara. Fact number three. The Zanzibaris must have been something quite formidable, because in 1896, on the 27th of August, the shortest war in history was waged. 
The British Empire attacked Zanzibar, which at the time was led by the Sultanate. The war, if you can call it that, lasted approximately 40 minutes before ceasefire occurred. Long ago, in a grand kingdom, a sultan sat in his throne room and pondered. He was pondering quite deeply, more deeply than he had ever pondered before, really. The sultan disliked pondering and made his head hurt, and when his head hurt, he would have to call for his tea. But his tea always took so long to arrive, and oh, what a bother it was to ponder. The reason behind the sultan's deep wondering was his three young sons. They were young, but not too young to learn to read or write. Yet none of them wished to do so. They outright refused to, in fact. No matter how many skilled tutors they brought to them, the boys learned nothing. The sultan's wife even consulted the wise gurus of India, but to no avail. The sultan and his wife began to despair. Their sons would be unable to continue their legacy, and the kingdom would fall to ruin or to enemy forces. Then, one day, a man in his aging years came to the sultan's kingdom and requested an audience with him. He had a long, graying beard which twirled into a knot at the end, but his head was bald, the harsh sun glinting off his dark skin as he walked. He held in his hand a long wooden staff, the bottom of which was carved into the shape of a leopard paw. As soon as the palace guards saw him, they knew what he was. A magician. Intrigued by his arrival, the sultan instantly accepted the magician into his throne room. Magician, tell me why you have travelled to my kingdom, the sultan asked, pressing his fingers into the sides of his head. His tea still hadn't arrived and he still had that headache from pondering so much. The magician bowed deeply. My sultan, I have come to provide a solution to your problem. I have heard that your sons do not wish to learn to read or write, but I have the ability to make them enjoy learning. If I succeed, I ask only for a humble reward. The magician explained with another deep bow. The sultan stroked his beard in deep thought. His headache got worse. This sounds most suitable, great magician. Hmm. I shall give you half of my palace, the sultan declared. Yet the magician hesitated. The sultan frowned in confusion, then grimaced. Frowning was like pondering, most terrible for headaches. This does not suit you, the sultan asked. The magician nodded sheepishly. The sultan let out a loud hum, and then said, Hmm, then I shall give you half of my kingdom. But still the magician was not happy. The sultan sighed and leaned back into his throne. Then what would please you, great magician? The magician smiled and said, When I bring back your three sons, all educated to the highest degree, Allow me to keep whichever one you do not wish to take back. Two shall be yours, and one shall stay with me as my apprentice. I will teach him my ways, and perhaps one day he will help another sultan as great as you. This pleased the sultan, and he readily agreed. And so, the magician took all three sons away, and in a matter of a few months, brought them back to their father. All three boys could read, write, present arguments, and attend to court with skill. The sultan was amazed, and congratulated the magician. He took the two sons which he preferred, 
and made them stand next to him, before instructing the last son to stand with the magician. The magician took the third son, who happened to be the youngest, and helped him onto his donkey-driven cart. While they rode away from the palace, the magician addressed the boy. Are you unhappy to leave your father, Kijana? Kijana, for that was the name of the younger son, pondered this question for a while. Unlike his father, Kijana had discovered his love of pondering while under the magician's tutelage. Eventually, he concluded his pondering. Not as much as I thought, Mchawi. Mchawi, the magician, smiled, his dark eyes twinkling. Well, I cannot deny that I am glad to hear it, for I am your father now, and you my son, an apprentice. One day, you shall be as great as I am, Mchawi announced, sweeping his leopard paw staff up and into the air. It twirled there in the air above their heads for longer than Kijana thought was possible, before falling elegantly into the magician's hands. Soon, they were turning into the dense forest on the outskirts of the Sultan's kingdom. Kijana frowned slightly. This wasn't the usual route to Mchawe's house. The magician saw the look of confusion on his apprentice's face, and chuckled. Ah, yes, I am not taking you to my humble cottage in which you and your brothers were taught. Now that you are my son, I am taking you to my actual home. It's not too far now. The cart trundled along until the trees began to thin out, the road began to descend, and they soon found themselves in a beautiful green valley. A gentle, bubbling stream ran alongside a tall, luxurious house. Kijana's mouth fell open as his eyes feasted on the structure before him. Jewels were embedded into the thick stone walls, golden windows and beams gleamed beneath the afternoon sun, and a wooden archway tall enough for a giant to pass under, stood at the entrance of the house. Strong thatch knitted together to form the roof. Welcome, my son, to our home, Mchawe said with a small grin, and hopped out of the wagon. Kijana was no stranger to wealth. He received many a diamond-encrusted rattle when he was a baby. Yet, to have lived for some months in the squashed one-room hut which Mchawe called his home, this grand house seemed as opulent as his father's palace. Entering the house, Kijana realized that the inside was just as luxurious as the outside. Marble staircases, Persian carpets with specks of real gold inlaid into the very threads, and paintings decorated the ceiling and walls made from the richest oil paints in the land. Mchawe came over to the boy and held out a set of ornate keys. These are for you, he explained. I will be away for a month on some business, but you are free to open any door you wish, except for the seventh door at the back of the house. The magician added, You are never to go into that room. Understand? Kijana nodded, confused by the look in his new father's eyes, but quickly dispersed the uneasy feeling in his gut. Soon Mchawe left, and Kijana, after a small rest, began exploring the house. The house was made of eight rooms, aside from the living areas and kitchen. Mchawe opened the first door, and to his amazement found barrels and barrels of liquid gold. What on earth? the boy thought, as he approached a barrel and stared into its honey depths. He could not resist its allure, and dipped a finger in. To his shock, the gold stuck, and would not come off no matter how much he wiped and rubbed his finger. So, to hide it, 
he wrapped a bandage around it. When Chao Wei returned and asked about his finger, Ki Jana explained that he had cut it somehow. Soon Chao Wei left again for another trip, and Ki Jana resumed his exploration of the house. Opening the second door, the young apprentice saw, to his horror, a room full of the bones of goats. Recoiling, Ki Jana slammed the door and backed shakily away. After a few minutes, Curiosity won out over fear, and approaching the third door, Kijana cautiously turned the key in the lock. The door creaked open. Kijana paled as he stared at the piles and piles of ox bones within the room. Shutting the door, he tried the next one. Donkey bones. The next door, horse bones. Finally, Kijana inserted a key into the lock of the next door, and turned. The door swung open, and Kijana felt bile rise in his throat. A tower of skulls stood in front of him, neatly stacked from floor to ceiling, their empty eye sockets staring straight at him. Kijana turned aside and retched. There were human skulls, too many to count. Fleeing the room, Kijana hid in his room for the rest of the day, his heart sitting in his throat, ears straining for the sound of Mchawe's return. But the magician did not return that night, and by the next morning, Kijana took the keys once more and approached the line of doors. There was one last door which he had not opened. This was the door forbidden from him by his new father, but Kijana felt determination in his heart. Who was Mchawe truly? What was he hiding? And why were those horrible things lying in the other rooms? There must be an explanation. So, taking a deep breath, Kijana inserted the last key into the last door and turned the handle. A pair of yellow eyes stared back at him from the darkness of the room, and the boy let out a howl of terror, falling backwards and dropping the set of keys. After a few moments, he peered back into the room, his eyes adjusting to the gloom, then realized that he was staring into the eyes of the most magnificent stallion he had ever seen. In awe, Kijana approached the creature and carefully held a hand out for the animal to sniff. The stallion blinked at him. Um, do you have an invisible apple for me to eat? Because if not, it's really hard for me to high-five you right now. As you can see, my hooves are chained down. Kijana yelped in shock and quickly withdrew his hand. You, you can talk? You're a talking horse? A horse that can talk? Kijana stammered out. The horse let out a puff of air, and the apprentice could have sworn he saw the creature roll its yellow eyes in annoyance. Give yourself a mare who stay in the obvious, the horse muttered, before shaking its mane and adding. So, are you going to just stand there, or are you going to free me so that we can both get out of this madhouse? Kijana gaped in shock for several moments. The horse let out an exasperated sigh. <sighs> You're a bit slow, I can tell. But that's all right. All humans are. Although you do seem worse than most, the horse added. Listen, boy. My name is Farasi, and I've been locked up here for many years by your pseudo-father, the magician. You've probably seen by now that he is not only passionate about animal cuisine, but also quite interested in the flesh of humans. If you don't want to end up like all the other boys I've seen through the years, you need to do as I say. 
got it. Kijana gulped and nodded. He did not want to be next in the magician's menu. Okay then, said the horse. First, untie me, then do exactly what I say. And so the boy untied the horse, and edged closer until the horse's mouth was by his ear, and listened carefully to the creature's instructions. A short while later, Mchawe returned to the house, and called for his apprentice to come quickly. Ah, my boy, excellent. I have a large party of friends coming over later, and we must prepare a grand feast for them. They have heard so much about you from me, and are looking forward to meeting you in the flesh. The magician said, rubbing his hands together gleefully. Kijana felt his throat dry as he stared into the glinting eyes of his stepfather, but quickly forced a smile onto his face. That's nice, father. What shall we do? he asked as innocently as he could. The magician picked up an axe. Kijana paled. We must fetch firewood for the food to cook, the magician said. But Kijana told his father, that he did not know how to do that. So the magician went to the woods by himself. Next, the magician told them to use the wood to build a fire for the pot. But Kijana told them that he did not know how to build a fire. So the magician did this as well. Once the pot was warm, Mchawe placed a large block of butter into it and motioned for the boy to come closer. My son, do you see that swing above the pot? There's a game I like to play. Get into the swing and I'll show you he said, his dark eyes gleaming. But Kijana quickly shook his head. I'm afraid I do not know that game, father. Can you show me first? So the magician climbed up and into the swing, but before he could push himself off the ledge, Kijana, who had silently come up behind him, gave the magician an almighty push straight into the pot of boiling butter. The magician screamed and writhed in the hot butter as it swiftly killed and cooked him. Kijana stared into the pot in horror for a few moments. Everything had occurred as Farasi had said. The magician would have pushed him into the pot had he not listened to the stallion. Leaping down, Kijana gathered his belongings and raced out to the woods where Farasi waited for him as planned. Together, they rode away as quickly as they could. Soon the magician's friends arrived and called for their host, but no one answered. They wandered through the house, and soon, growing hungry and impatient, decided not to wait for the magician, and tucked into the buttery dish prepared for them. Eventually, with still no sign of the magician, the friends left for their homes, blissfully ignorant of the meal they all carried in their bellies. Meanwhile, Kijana and Farasi had travelled far, and finally stopped in the outskirts of a grand city. To his great surprise, Farasi proceeded to cuff up all the gold from the first room in the magician's house. With that, they built a house grander than the magician's and purchased many cattle and workers for their farm. Soon their presence caught the attention of the nearby city, and the sultan himself came to see him. Seeing Kijana's great wealth, the sultan offered to give the young man a tour of the city, which Kijana gladly accepted. Farasi insisted on coming but grudgingly agreed to remain silent throughout the trip, however boring that is. The sultan was impressed and charmed by the young man's wit, maturity, and knowledge, and soon introduced him to his daughter. Months passed, and Kijana and Farasi, who, of course, insisted on attending every event with his new charge, became beloved friends of the sultan and his family, 
Eventually, King Jana asked the Sultan for his daughter's hand in marriage, and presented him with five hundred of his best cattle. The Sultan was overjoyed and gladly accepted, and soon the apprentice and the Sultan's daughter were married in the most lavish ceremony the land had ever seen. Farasi himself was decked out in a luxurious golden saddle, and was fed candied apples by adoring servants. A year later, a son arrived, and the land rejoiced. Everyone lived happily ever after. That is, until Kijana's brothers heard about their little brother's mighty achievements and superior wealth. But that is an adventure for another time. This story was so fun to write, and actually took a little while to do so. I thought it was really interesting, and okay, there are some really questionable things about the plot, but I thought it was pretty unusual. The story is based on Zanzibari stories, which were translated from Swahili by the translator George W. Bateman, and may be found in the book Zanzibar Tales, told by natives of the east coast of Africa, which was um, made in 1901, and is available on Gutenberg. I added, changed, and removed things here and there, invented a lot of stuff, such as the first sultan's personality, the description of the magician, most of the other descriptions, and fleshed out a lot of Kija and I was wandering through the magician's house. I also added in comedic bits and the teaser at the end. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed my retelling of the Zanzibari tale, and that it inspires you to go read up on Zanzibar and the many fascinating Islamic influences on this African region. Now, before we say goodbye, I have a lovely promo for you by my dear friends from the amazing Into the Portal podcast. Have a listen. Our world is full of truly strange things. Mysteries left unsolved, ancient treasures left buried beneath the sands, occult knowledge lost to the centuries long since past, and monsters lurking in our world's jungles, forests, and ocean depths still waiting to be truly discovered. These are the things we seek on Into the Portal podcast. Venture into realms beyond our understanding every other Sunday as we discuss myths, legends, historical mysteries, lost artifacts, UFO encounters, cryptozoology, and more. Find the gateway to our interdimensional listening experience everywhere you get your podcasts and at intotheportal.com. Endless possibilities lie on the other side. The question is, do you dare venture into the portal? And now I must love and leave you. Legendary Africa is produced and edited by Hestia the Dog, written by Athena the Doggo. Yes, she got promoted from intern to writer. She's actually paid now. And hosted by me, the Shirapatha. Remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and check out the links to the podcast website and the Straight Up Strange website in the show notes. Until next time, remember to mask up, sanitize before you fraternize, and above all, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Bye!